This week, the near extinction of wild salmon in Con River and the likely link of First Nation-backed fish farms. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. This is episode 174. Thanks for your support via patreon.com and email transfer, nigma.matters at gmail.com. Willow. The Department of Fisheries and Oceans, DFO, has issued its salmon count for Newfoundland and Labrador. It's not all bad news. In some rivers, salmon are doing okay on the west coast, northern peninsula, and Labrador. For the Cornerbrook Stream, for example, there was a record high return of salmon from the ocean. On the south coast, however, the news is bleak. Record low numbers of salmon returning to spawn. Salmon in Con River near extinction. Now, Salmon are complex creatures who inhabit multiple environments. There are probably multiple factors involved in their decline on the south coast. Availability of plankton, on which salmon and their prey feed, changing water temperatures among them. But the south coast is also the aquaculture center of the province, a controversial and accident-prone industry in which Mambigag First Nation has been financially involved for many years. Chief Mazel Joe says there's no proof aquaculture is the culprit. He has suggested seal overpopulation might be a cause. Our guest this week says otherwise. Nick Kelly is stock assessment biologist for DFO. Nick Kelly says it would be naive to think fish farms are not at least one of the factors in the critical decline of salmon on the south coast. Salmon returning from the ocean to spawn in Con River and to pass by the aquaculture pens and the sea lice and other hazards associated with them. Also, there has been an intermingling of wild and escaped farm salmon, and those hybrids have lower survival. Truly an alarming situation with the very real prospect that the wild salmon that for thousands of years of populated Con River, so important in the culture and tradition of Mi'kmaq people, will soon be no more. Here's my interview with Nick Kelly. I started by asking him about the complicated life cycle of the salmon. Born in fresh water, go away to the salt water, to the ocean, and come back to spawn. So it's a it's a bit of a complicated uh, life cycle the salmon have. Yes, it is. Uh, and there's a lot of variation you see across populations, uh, both in North America and Europe as well. Typically with uh, salmon in Newfoundland and uh, Labrador, well, uh, focusing on the, the island portion of the province, Newfoundland. Um, most of our salmon are basically born, the, the salmon spawn in the fall, and the eggs that are fertilized hatch the following spring. Those f- eggs then basically grow up into young salmon, and they typically spend around two to three years for the most part for populations in Newfoundland uh, in freshwater. You do see some fish that are age four and five um, when they leave the river. For the most part, most of the fish that we have scaled data for 
suggests that primarily aged two or three. So they spend two or three years for the most part in freshwater, and then they undergo this uh, large migration to sea. Most of the salmon on the island portion of the province are what we call one sea winter salmon. Basically, that means that they go to sea in the spring, so April or May or even June, depending on the river. And then they spend the following summer, fall and winter in the ocean and then return the following spring as a, or summer as an adult salmon ready to spawn. Mm. So it's, it's quite a long migration. Uh, we do know that a lot of these fish from various tagging work we've done over the years migrate up to the Labrador Sea. Um, so you know, it, it is quite an impressive migration that the species undergoes each year. Yes. Now, um, let's uh, talk about the state of the salmon uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador generally. And uh, of course, when we're talking about salmon, we're is usually a um, uh, very often a bad news story. But in the latest results, there is some good news. And I see one of the things that you've noted in uh, your report is that, um, well, five of the rivers assessed on the island were healthy. And there were record high returns of salmon to the Cornerbrook stream. So that is record high returns of salmon from the ocean to the Cornerbrook stream to spawn. That's correct. Um, so basically, we monitor rivers throughout the province. Uh, the number fluctuates from year to year. Um, typically, there's four rivers in Labrador, and uh, the, the number in the island portion of the province has fluctuated over recent years. Um, I believe last year, 2019, it was closer to 20 rivers. Uh, this past year, it was down to, to 14, uh, largely impacted by the effect of COVID-19 on our monitoring program. Basically what we do is we go in to these rivers each year. Uh, some of them have fishways already in them, which is basically uh, something that allows salmon to migrate up what would probably be a, an impassable waterfall. So it's kind of like a ladder system that allows salmon to go up through and we're able to uh, capture them, count them, in some cases take some size measurements or a scale sample, which we can use to age the salmon. And then we let them continue their migration. Other rivers, we go in and we actually build a fence from bank to bank each year at the start of the salmon migration. Count, we have a wooden trap in the, in the middle of the fence that allows us to capture and count salmon and sample them as well. And then at the end of the season in probably September month, we typically take these fences out. Mm. And then there's a couple rivers on the west coast of the island, um, down the southwest portion, just south of Corner Brook and where we call Bay St. George, where these rivers are assessed Intermittently, not every year, but um, there's a bit of a, there's a few gaps in those time series, but they're assessed by snorkel surveys where people actually snorkel the rivers and count uh, the salmon that they see. Because in recent years, we have had declines on a lot of our monitored rivers, but this past year, uh, returns kind of improved slightly, at least compared to 2019. Uh, and many of our rivers in Labrador, they did really well overall. Uh, on the west coast and northeast coast of the island, it was kind of a mixed bag where some rivers had kind of similar returns compared to what we've seen over the past five or six years. And some were up and some were down. It's the south coast uh, where the situation is most alarming uh, in Con River and the Garnish River. Con River, you're saying that salmon are at near extinction. And uh, I think everyone will, will know how alarming uh, that sounds. And um, 
I guess we're still considering um, the factors that might be responsible for that uh, decline. And it looks like there might be um, there might be a climate change uh, issue. Um, the water, it seems like the water temperatures are, are kind of screwed up, uh, colder just below the surface, warmer on the bottom. And that may be uh, related to, uh, to plankton, those, uh, that food for salmon. And um, I gather from your report, there's not as much plankton, so therefore not as much salmon food. Yeah, well, actually, so, so salmon, when the, when the uh, juvenile goes to sea, it's called a smolt. So a salmon a smolt is a fish that first goes to sea. For, it goes to sea for the first time. Uh, typically, they're pretty small. Typically, around uh, like when I tag smolt for different studies, they probably range on average from around 16 to 20, 22 centimeters in size. Uh, when they first go out, they do feed on a mixture of, of large plankton, um, as well as other larval stages of different fish, such as say maybe cod eggs or things like that, or different crustaceans. So they typically don't feed on much plankton themselves. They usually feed on higher levels in the food chain, but what they feed on as, uh, as they grow certainly rely on plankton. So there's kind of a trickle up effect of plankton abundance towards salmon at higher levels in the food chain. So signs lately in recent years of, of kind of declines in, in plankton abundance or size are concerning, but it's difficult for sure to, to understand how that impacts salmon abundance in terms of the numbers of adults that return, uh, just because of the complex complex interactions within the marine food web. Hmm. Now, in Newfoundland these days, seals are a popular villain, uh, uh, accused of being responsible for many bad things. So seals have been also mentioned as being a factor in in uh, in salmon numbers uh, do you give that any credence or do you think that's uh, a bit remote well we've we do hear of, um, a lot of a lot of locals do certainly voice their concerns about salmon or salmon being eaten by seals and they certainly tell us when they see seals kind of built up at river mouths and things like that i mean it's totally possible when when the young smolt are coming out of the river to some of them to be predated upon by seals when I talk to my colleagues within DFO Science within our region who study seals and other marine mammals, uh, they've done substantial research over the years on different seal diets. I think what they told me was around uh, looking at harp seals, over 20,000 stomachs they've opened over the years, and salmon was never found to be a dominant prey item. Um, in fact, I think they say they found salmon, evidence of salmon in seal stomachs, in harp seal stomachs, once or twice since the 1980s. When you look at other species, uh, I believe there's a study I've come across before from the Miramichi River, um, so outside of the Newfoundland and Labrador region, where they looked at gray seals and did not find that much evidence of salmon. And over 700 gray seal stomachs from around Atlantic Canada analyzed, I think salmon, they said, were found in 43. We know that some seals do spend time around salmon rivers, uh, especially, say, harbor seals, but the abundance of harbor seals in Atlantic Canada is relatively small. It's probably two or 300,000 compared to the other seal species. So I'd say the impact is probably regional, like on smaller spatial scales, and could be having impacts on specific rivers, but I don't, I, I think it's unlikely that seals are really driving patterns of um, Atlantic salmon ab adult abundance uh, on a large spatial scale as the Newfoundland Labrador region. Mm. 
Now, the other thing that uh, that has been discussed in relation to salmon is is aquaculture, and aquaculture is a big industry on the south coast of Newfoundland, where uh, particularly near Con River. And you say that uh, more research needs to be done to see if there is a connection between aquaculture and uh, and salmon decline. Um, there's some things we do know already, which is the um, the uh, the hybridization of wild and farm salmon, um, and uh, the fact that these hybrids don't have the resilience of uh, of the wild salmon. Uh, that is, they don't survive. So, uh, do you think it's possible there's something going on there that might be impacting on uh, the situation on the south coast? Yeah, for sure. Like um, when you look at the scientific literature, there's over two decades of research spanning the North Atlantic, so both sides of the North Atlantic, that have documented negative impacts of net pen aquaculture on wild populations. Um, these are often in the form of what you just said, escapees, so fish that escape salmon farms or pens and go into fresh water and uh, reproduce with wild populations. And certainly, my colleague Ian Bradbury has published some really strong papers in journals in recent years uh, showing that this has happened on the south coast of Newfoundland. And I think he's, he's followed up resampling juveniles in all these systems. And it suggests that these, the juvenile offspring that have a farm parent uh, tend to, or may, may not be surviving as, as often say as, as a wild offspring. Mm. But then outside of escapees, there are other potential things that we see from research done in other countries, such as Norway, Scotland, and I believe Ireland, which suggests negative impacts on wild populations through the transmission of diseases or parasites to wild salmon smolts as they go to sea and pass aquaculture sites, as well as other ecological interactions that are kind of hard to quantify, just such as competition or, or predation issues. Mm. In, uh, in BC, uh, they've uh, closed down uh, aquaculture because uh, of the impact on, on wild salmon. The wild salmon on the way from, uh, from freshwater to the ocean have to pass by these aquaculture developments and are, are liable to uh, be uh, infected by sea lice, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of what you're talking about as a, as a possibility of what might be happening on the, on the south coast. Yes, uh, both in terms of sea lice or even transmission of some uh, diseases as well. Mm. Um, unfortunately, you know, we, we don't have information specific to the south coast of Newfoundland uh, on this, but the fact that it's been documented in several other regions of the North Atlantic, you know, suggests that it could be an issue here. So just because we don't have any information at the moment on it, it'd be a bit naive to suggest that it, it might not be a problem here. And we're not saying that sea lice could be completely driving the declines that we see, but it could be another factor that in combination with marine conditions, whether it's temperature, food availability, predation, things like that, it could be uh, just another factor that could be reducing the survival of these young smolts when they first go to sea from year to year. Hmm. And just on the hybrids, is the, uh, is the genie out of the bottle? Like, is that something that's, um, that's unstoppable now or say if aquaculture were to, uh, were to shut down or, or there'd be some other uh, steps taken, is it possible to stop that process of hybridization or is that population change uh, underway and, uh, and unstoppable at this point? 
That's a good question. Uh, it's a tough one for me to answer, uh, probably better suited for my colleague, Ian Bradbury, who kind of focuses on genetic impacts uh, as he, he has much, he's much more expertise in, in that area. I would suggest though that based on his work too, it suggests that not only have, is there hybridization in several rivers on the South Coast, but hybrids appear to be more predominant in smaller populations, which does increase the risk of, of those populations long-term where they're already at small abundance as it is. Um, but in terms of the, the ability to reverse the process, whether it's through like human-induced interactions or just let nature take its course, uh, it's very difficult to, to say if that's possible and how likely it is to occur. Hmm. So Nick, we have a mixed bag. We have some, uh, some healthy rivers, um, but I think more, more, more bad news than good news, and particularly on the on the south coast, some um, from some very alarming news with this uh, near extinction uh, observation. So, so what do we do now? Uh, I would think a critical situation deserves a, a critical response. So, where do we go from from here? Uh, it's difficult to say for sure. I know, I know there has been a working group established before this year, within the last year or two, um, that, that brings together different uh, representatives within DFO science and management, as well as, I believe, the Neopricant uh, First Nations and, and probably others as well, trying to look at what can be done. Um, so there is kind of a working group that has been discussing this over the past year or two. Uh, it's difficult to say what course of action, uh, you know, is best. And we do hear concerns from different groups uh, who, who would like to see us try to do some kind of enhancement work to try to recover the population. Now, I'm no expert in this, but I'll, I'll say is that, you know, ultimately decisions like this, at least within DFO, bring together multiple groups or multiple different branches of DFO. So it's not just science that would be part of this, it would be several groups within DFO. Currently there's no stocking policy for Atlantic Canada for salmon from DFO. And um, there, is, there, there is literature out there in terms of scientific literature that suggests that, you know, basically the pro any process like that would have to be taken with a lot of caution very carefully because it is possible to actually cause more damage. Um, the, the key is trying to maintain genetic diversity. So ultimately, it's very difficult to say what the course of action will be or what the best thing is to do. And ultimately, not only will that decision be made well above my level, but it, it does bring in, it's a very complex issue. So it factors in multiple groups within DFO and then as well as outside of DFO complicated scientifically, bureaucratically, and politically. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a tough nut. And I suppose what you're saying is, uh, it sounds, you know, very easy to, uh, you know, take some salmon and, you know, and stock the Con River. But I suppose salmon are, salmon are from an environment. So uh, just plopping uh, foreign salmon down in the, into Con River uh, might not be as easy as it sounds. For sure. Uh, these populations have been there for tens of thousands of years, um, probably longer. So they're extremely locally adapted to their river specific conditions. And the key too is 
is maintaining what you'd call genetic diversity within the population. Um, so it is quite the complex uh, situation to, to try to deal with. And uh, yeah, it's it, like I say, it's, it, it's very complex and would require a lot of input from a lot of different uh, groups and sectors, both within and outside the government. Nick Kelly, stock assessment biologist for the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Our intern in residence is Ellen Riopel, a student at the University of King's College School of Journalism in Halifax. Listen to Mi'kmaq Matters wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a review. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Nimaltus. Mi'kmaq.